Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a church that is learning to live like Jesus for the restoration of our city and the renewal of our nation. During the coronavirus outbreak, we have both online and in-person gatherings across all of our sites in and around Cardiff. So wherever you feel comfortable at the moment, you can engage with church. You can find all of the details you'll need on our website, vineyardcardiff.org Sundays. Here's this week's talk from our senior pastor, James Rankin. Hello, brilliant to be with you. I'm starting a new mini-series today. <sighs> yes, I am. And I've called it Reset, Rebuild, Restore. We're entering a new moment as society's beginning to open up. It's like, you can feel it, can't you? It's like I went and uh, sat outside in the pub last week. Flipping awesome. I can actually, I haven't, I haven't made it to the pub yet this week, but I can apparently sit inside or a coffee shop. But it's all opening up, but at the same time, it's deeply complicated. And as people, we're becoming risk assessors. That's what we're kind of having to do. We look at environments and be like, oh, should I be in that? Shouldn't I be in that? What's guidance? What's rules? What's sensible? What's necessary? And that's always very interesting because what's necessary Different temperaments will think something's necessary to somebody else. And then you end up with COVID arguments that some of you might have experienced as well. But people have experienced this pandemic in very different ways. So same pandemic, completely different experience depending on our circumstances. You know, whether you've had children at home, whether you haven't had children, whether you've lived by yourself, whether you've got family nearby, whether you don't have family. All of those things have meant that it can be quite divisive and has led to loads of different viewpoints as well. So today, as society is beginning to open up, I wanted to look at this subject of reset, resetting, because the truth is the whole way along, we've been making these mini adjustments, haven't we? But in my mind, this is a moment to reevaluate, to step back and to say, what is it that I wanna build on? What foundation do I wanna build my life on? I've got all of these different things coming towards me. How am I gonna make decisions? What am I gonna put first? How am I gonna hold God's priorities? How do I put those first? I started talking with the team about six weeks ago about this this idea of reset. I'd been reading a book by Jeremy Riddle, worship leader at Anaheim Vineyard called Reset, which I found really, really helpful. And so I've been like, oh, this is a reset moment, isn't it? I started banding it around with the preaching team and they're like, we quite like it. Yeah, it's quite nice. But but it feels quite, it feels huge. It's like reset, start again. And and I wasn't sure. So I wasn't quite sure about the language. So I came away. I was like, oh, okay, mm, I'll hold it lightly. And then Nathan and Sam, who are on our worship team, I realised that week that they'd written a song called Reset. It's like, oh which is absolutely beautiful. If you get a chance to listen to it, I, I think it's fabulous and really, really proud of it. So well done. But yeah, so I was like, the Lord is speaking, the Lord is speaking, I need to take note. So today I start by looking at reset. Alice is gonna take it on next week, rebuild, and then we're gonna look at restore. So society is resetting and people are starting to put things back into their lives. You know, it's like our lives were flattened, there was nothing. It's like, what am I gonna do tonight? I thought I'd stay in. Same thing every night, Groundhog Day. But now suddenly clubs are re art clubs, sports clubs, community centres are reopening. Uh, the cinema is open. It's like, well, what will that be? Are there any films to show? I don't know. But more importantly than anything, bingo is reopening. Yes, it is. And 
but at the same time our in-person gatherings are starting again small groups can meet outside as well as inside outdoor gatherings for up to 50 people what we can do has shifted so much so all of us are being flooded with choices to make from not having had virtually any choices at all we've got what is it that i'm going to put back into my life we've got the We've got multiple options for the first time in ages. What about holidays? Well, let's not even go there. Complicated. So you've got this on one side, but then you've also got this nervousness for, for many, many people. We're not just talking a handful of people about re-entering into society. You know, it's like, oh, what's that going to be like? It's going to be so fast. Oh, I, I feel tired. Oh, I socialised with somebody for an hour. I've never been that tired in my life because we've forgotten how to do it, how to do small talk, how to do banter, some of these things. At the same time as how infectious is the Indian variant and fourth wave, fifth wave and wave, sorry, and uncertainty. There's been uncertainty for 14 months and that uncertainty continues. And the truth is nobody really knows apart from the Lord what it's going to look like. And we have people saying, well, the science says, and it's like, well, science still needs interpreting somewhere along the line. But there are loads of emotions going on. Hope that it might be over. For others, nervousness about re-entering society. Can I do it? Do I want to do it? Should I do it? What do I say yes to? And we, we're all in different places. And I think the starting point is that there needs to be grace that we don't know what different people have necessarily experienced during this time. We need to have grace for one another, grace for one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to build one another up. One of our things is to be a grace-filled community. And really that's centered around Jesus and it's bringing people into life, but grace. At the same time, we need to let him lead. The words of the song that Sam and Nathan have written are this, I will reset again from your arms, that picture of God. I'm, I'm coming out from the place of intimacy. That's where I need to reset from. With hope in my heart, in loving surrender, reset, I'll shut out the noise. All these things crowding in, awake to your voice, tune into your whisper. All I want is nothing more than all you are and all your heart. And all you want is nothing more than all I am in loving surrender. And I've been singing it all week. You know, a new song, you're like, da, 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 da. I don't know all the words, but it's got in my head and it's got in there. But I'm loving it, the loving surrender. This word surrender at the heart of it. It's like, oh, will I surrender, surrender my plans before you? And as we, we reset, we have to just stop and ask Jesus, what is the foundation? I need to follow you. I'm your apprentice. I need to listen to your voice and I need to listen to your leading. And if we don't get this foundation right, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock. That's it, isn't it? We need the firm foundation. And if we don't get that right, suddenly we can put loads of things into our life, but actually we're not feeding from the source of life itself. So I want to look at the subject of pure worship today of, of surrendered worship, of a life poured out. Now recently I've been watching The Chosen with Jen and my girls, which has been amazing. There's been a number of people that have been, you've got to watch The Chosen, you've got to watch The Chosen. Like, oh yeah, I really need to get around to doing that. And I, but I'm always nervous about watching something about Jesus because it's like, oh, it's 
I've seen too many things that are just disappointing. It's like, that's not my picture of Jesus. That's not how I imagine him. So there's a, there's a nervousness and I've started watching The Chosen. And I'm like, it's beautiful. Jesus is amazing in it. And so if you get a moment, it's just on YouTube, it's free. But it, it captivates my heart. It makes me fall in love and, and see new aspects to Jesus. But one of the things in there, and one of the parts that's really captured me is around how the Jews celebrate Sabbath. So you see them on the Friday night and they gather together in their family. And what they're doing is they're retelling the story of what God has done. And that they do that all of the time. This is God, how you move. They're telling God's story. So their Sabbath isn't just rest. It's intimacy. It's reminding themselves of who God is and in his rightful place. And as we reset this is what we need to do. We need to put the big rocks in first. These moments of reminder throughout the week, you know, whether that's starting the day and getting up with the Lord or pressing into Christian community, gathering with the whole family, with our smaller families as well, and with our children and doing life with God together. These are the things that we need to, we need to get these rhythms of life with God. We need to build our lives around worshipping him. That's our primary aim. The Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and love him forever. That's, that's our aim. To glorify God and love him forever. So how is your life set up to achieve that? If that really is, that's our chief end. That's our main aim. Glorify God and love him forever. Is our life set up to do that? How would you explain your life's purpose if somebody came up to you and they're like, oh, you know, big question. What's your life about? What are you trying to do in your life? You could just knit the Westminster Catechism. But I love the first four words of the Purpose Driven Life book. And it starts like this. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's like, whew. That's countercultural, right there, super countercultural, because our first identity is as a worshipper. So looking today at pure worship, surrendered worship, whenever I picture worship, whenever I think about it, there's a couple of images that come to mind. There's David dancing before the ark. And then there's this passage in Luke 7 that I wanted to unpack today about the story of the sinful woman, which you might well be familiar with but as we look at Jesus in this passage he's so captivating so I'm just going to read it verse 36 Luke 7 36 when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table and a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of, them, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. 
You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. When Jesus says, I have something to tell you, that is a moment to run. I've got something to tell you. He's about to open up your heart and mind. And here's Jesus. He's been invited into the home of Simon, who's a Pharisee. Please keep in mind that the Pharisees were, were the rich and religious leaders of the time. And Jesus was more critical of the Pharisees than anyone else. And as a result, generally, Pharisees would have nothing to do with Jesus. And this shows that Simon was special. He was interested in Jesus. He was like Nicodemus who was also a Pharisee, but he wanted to learn more about Jesus. And there's an openness that you see in him. There's a curiosity. There's a spiritual interest. And so he invites Jesus into his home. And Jesus is reclining as he eats, as he would have done in that time. And we're told that a woman came up behind him. She came up to his feet and she began to weep and wipe his feet with her tears and poured perfume on them. And she was a sinner. She was a woman of ill repute. She was a prostitute. And Simon immediately looks at her and he says, Jesus says he's divine. Well, if he's divine, he'd know exactly who this is, what kind of woman this is. He would know that she's a prostitute. And if he really was divine, he wouldn't want anything to do with her. And Jesus says, I've got a story to tell you. In this story, there's two debtors, both of them owe a lender money. Now, if you can't pay the lender money, you go to prison. And in one case, the debt to the lender was 500 denarii, which was probably, depending on how much you earn, about a year's wages. The others was 50, so made more like a month's wages, a year's wages, a month's wages. So the point is, both of them owed the lender, neither of them can pay, the, the lender forgives both. And Jesus says, now, who would probably be more in love with the lender? Who would be fuller of joy and adoration to the lender? And Jesus asked that question and Simon ponders it and thinks about it and suppose the one who had the bigger debt would be forgiven. Now, traditionally, there's been so much emphasis on how costly the alabaster jar would be. This, this ointment um, that was broken on at the feet of Jesus. And some speculate it would have been worth a year's wages. But this wasn't just a costly jar of perfume that this lady is breaking at Jesus for eat. In, instead, it's so much bigger than that. It was a costly act. And for anyone who wished to retain an ounce of dignity and self-respect within his or her social context, it's just not something that you would do. And in this moment, we, we see this picture of beautiful, pure worship. And we realise that pure worship is costly. Out of all the things that humans guard most fiercely, self-image might win the day. But this woman completely disregarded hers. And I'm, and I'm sure she wasn't ignorant of how this would have come across to other people, how harshly that she would be judged as a result, but she just couldn't stop herself. She couldn't not do it. And so she broke not only 
a bottle of expensive perfume at his feet, but she broke her self-respect and her dignity with it. And we have to remember that nobody else got it. Not one person in this group of onlookers was sitting there thinking, this is beautiful. There was only outrage and judgment. No one thought that this was the right thing to do in the moment. No one, no one, but Jesus, Jesus did. Jesus looked at this act and he was aware of exactly what was going on. And he was moved by it and he knew what it had cost her. And Jesus knew the purity of this moment. And he made this decree, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her, in Matthew 26. So just pause for a moment and can you imagine how shocking this must have been for the people around him to hear? They were probably thinking about this, that, that moment, Jesus, that awkward moment where none of us knew what to do, that moment where we probably all felt like we should rescue you from this lady who's come in and done this thing, and you should probably rescue yourself, that moment, that moment gets eternally linked with the proclamation of the gospel. Yeah, we have to grasp this pure worship only hopes to touch the heart, to win the heart of the one that is worshipping. It's devoted, it's beautiful, it's Jesus-focused, it's God-focused, it's about him. And it's never driven by the benefits that it's get. So we're learning so much about worship, what it is to worship in this image of this lady pouring out her life before Jesus. That is an image of a life poured out. And it's, it's extreme, isn't it? And sometimes we need to think when we're watching somebody be expressive in worship and they're pouring out their heart before Jesus and we can sit there and be judgmental about it. It's like, oh, what are they doing? It's probably the worship that Jesus loves. Let me ask you, how many things do we do in worship that, that cost us nothing? How many things don't we do because it will cost us something? Worship without cost is worship without impact. Uh, King David declared in 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Worship, pure worship is costly. To offer God our dignity, our self-respect, our personal emotional, financial comfort is to offer him something costly that's pleasing to his heart. And Jesus is giving us this picture of pure worship. And he's asking us to keep returning to this picture, which we do. Worship that's extravagant, worship that is shameless. One of our values as a church is shameless worship. Because it's so easy to be bound up in both shame because of our sin, and Jesus wants to break that off us, but also to be ashamed of our passion and our to be ashamed of our faith and it's like no shameless worship is to stand before the Lord arms outstretched and to be like I will give you all of my worship and that's one of the things that we've been learning isn't it in in corporate in-person worship where we can't sing and you could be like oh it's not worth doing you, you know if I can't do it properly it's not worth doing and I'm like oh I think it's meant to be deeper than that worship's about the posture of the heart it's about presenting myself before him. I can present myself before him without singing. The posture of my heart can be completely open. And yes, I can't wait for the day when we can sing it out. 
But what's the Lord wanting to teach us in this moment where our heart overflows before him? Yeah, we listen to somebody else, but it's like, what's going on in the heart when I stand before him and I've got my body that I can worship with? Jesus doesn't ask that we would bring a part of ourselves. He asks that we bring all of ourselves. And so this starting point, pure worship is costly and it's also vulnerable. Pure worship is vulnerable. Just let me for a moment contrast Simon's worship with this lady. Simon comes in an intellectual, detached way and this woman comes with a whole being. And can you imagine Simon's reaction when Jesus says, Simon, why didn't, why didn't you kiss me? Why didn't you hug me? Why didn't you weep over me when, when I came in? And Simon might have been standing there thinking, you're kidding, aren't you? Like, what do you want of me? I brought you into my house. That was a massive step. We were having a nice little chat and a good conversation. And you, you don't really mean that you expected me to embrace you and weep and fall down at your feet and to receive you with this kind of passion and this kind of drama. And Jesus is like, yeah, but the posture of your heart. You see, the first, the, the difference that you can see between Simon and the woman is Simon comes in an intellectual, detached way and he doesn't have his whole self there and he's not really letting Jesus into the centre. And he's, he's got questions like, I'd like to have a discussion. And again, that is not wrong to want to have a discussion and to talk to Jesus. But the danger is that we never present ourselves vulnerably and fully before him. We can, we can stay in this place of intellectual, detached, looking on, watching other people, watching them worship, judging their worship, rather than being like, what is the heart of my worship? And this woman's been moved to her depths, to the depths. And she's not only, of course, intellectually heard the message, but there are tears, there's the will, there's the whole person involved. He comes with a head and she comes with a whole being. And he will address Jesus only with his intellect and she lets him address all of her let me put it another way Simon stays in charge of the interview and the woman gives Jesus control of the interview you see Simon is approaching Jesus the way that many of us can Simon is interviewing Jesus sitting down and saying Jesus I've been looking at you and the miracles that you do and that's impressive and I've heard your teaching that's 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 good and I'm trying to find out whether it'd be more advantageous for me to follow you or not to and we go through that journey when we come to faith, but we reach the point where we come into the kingdom, we give our lives to the Lord. And he's like, surrender yourself, surrender your heart. And at that moment, when he says, follow me, we hand over control and we say, you're in charge. Jesus is not someone that you can just interview for the job of Lord and saviour. Instead, you have here what the woman does, and that is that she makes a commitment. There's no way to even begin to talk to Jesus unless you're willing to come with your whole being and make a commitment. Let me give you a definition. Commitment is putting your weight on something to the point of vulnerability. No vulnerability, no commitment. No commitment, no relationship. If you want to know somebody, you've got to open yourself up. You've got to let them in to know a bit of who you are. You've got to make yourself vulnerable. You've got to tell them the deep things that are going on in your life, the areas of brokenness. And that's really difficult. But as soon as you're affectionate with somebody, they can mess with you and they can hurt you. And as soon as you open that up and tell a little bit about yourself, they can use that. 
for many of us, we hate that vulnerability, so we don't make ourselves vulnerable, and there's no commitment, and that's in human relationships, but let's just put that into our relationship with God as well. If there's not that vulnerability with him, we don't open ourselves up. If you want to have the ultimate relationship with the ultimate person, there has to be ultimate commitment. And this woman does it, and Simon will not. And how does she do it? In an amazing way. Pure worship, coming on to the next bit, is a life poured out. She brings an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, the thing that's very important to recognise in this situation is it's very, very, very probable that, like most prostitutes that wore this around their neck, it was, it was a necklace and it was normal for prostitutes to wear around their neck a necklace with a very small jar or a flask of perfume. And it was part of the alluring. It was part of what made her attractive. It was a tool of the trade. So do you know what she's doing when she takes her hair down and she takes the flask off? For a woman to take her hair down in public was so scandalous it was grounds for divorce. And for a woman to take the tool of her trade off and pour it at his feet was to say, I have a better use now for this perfume. She was changing the direction of her life. I know a lot of us would like so much to think I can get Jesus in my life to just give me a bit of personal peace and a bit of inspiration, a bit of va-va-voom. But the fact is there's no way to relate to Jesus without becoming radically vulnerable. And that means making him the master of all of it. Our job, our behaviour, our ethics, the way that we use our money, our relationships, our sexuality, our thought life, our intellectual life. It all comes before him. All of it. We present all of it before him. There's no way to stay in control and relate to Jesus. No way. And the truth is that everyone has got these little flasks around their neck, the things that are important to them. Just think about yourself for a moment. And you're going to pour them at somebody's feet. But who gets your heart? Who is it that you utterly and ultimately live for? And whoever that something or something is, will they satisfy you like Jesus? Will they never let you down like Jesus? And she comes with all of her being and she's willing to address him in terms of personal commitment and she loses control and she puts him in control. Let, let me put it one more way. Simon insists on treating Jesus like any other guest. Whereas this woman puts Jesus, she gives him first place, preeminence. When she took this thing around her neck and poured it on Jesus, it's her way of saying, Lord Jesus, you're not one more thing in my life with everything else. You're the most important thing to me. There is nothing else. You're the most valuable thing. And the woman is saying, I, I refuse to see anything as more valuable than you. I pour everything in my life at your feet. If I have you, I have everything that I need. I won't use you as a means to an end. I won't manipulate you. You are not one more thing in my life. You're my Lord. So as we enter this next stage, this moment of reset, I think there's a call for us to surrender our lives, to get away from the distractions and say, again, 
to kneel before him in worship, in adoration, in praise, to remember our first love, to place ourselves at his feet and to say, Lord, build this life. You're my foundation, you're my strength, you're my rock, you're my fortress. What do you want my life to look like? Let me not just stumble into the next things. Get distracted over here. My first role is to be a worshipper. Chief end of man is to glorify God and love him forever. It's a beautiful thing. So it's not about you. Worship is costly. Worship, pure worship is vulnerable and pure worship is a life poured out. So let me pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for this beautiful picture, for this lady who was broken in so many ways, but she knew what it was to love you. And I want to pray that you get rid of the things that get in the way of us pouring out our devotion before you. Shameless worshippers, shameless worshippers, no shame. Let the shame be gone. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.